Welcome to Hardcore Penn State Football. It's smelling rosy. Rose Bowl projections all but have just a formality at this point. Penn State likely heading to the Rose Bowl to take on Utah. We will discuss that in a decent amount of length today on the show. Also some recruiting news with the early signing day quickly approaching. Got some fan questions in the bag. Welcome into the show, everybody. Glad you are here. We'll be right with you after a brief intermission. Football. I'm Corey Lestoki. With me, as always, the great Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? You know, I asked Corey <laughs> if he could smell that smell that I smell. It just smells like roses. So I feel I'm feeling rosy today. How about you, Corey? Uh, first of all, Mason Hicks says, good morning on YouTube. Jacob Sparrow says, let's get this bread. And he asks, is Sean feeling easy like Sunday morning? So, of course. Of course. Hope you guys are doing well. Let us know where you are listening from. Let us know how you're feeling today. I'm feeling good, Sean. I'm feeling really good. Um, I don't know if I have that much to say about my personal life. Um, I will say this. Made the mistake, so everyone knows, like, you know, the lady friend was out of town for a little bit. Made the mistake of saying I enjoyed doing nothing on the weekend when she was gone. And um, it backfired a little bit on me. Because now the implication, there's an implication there that I don't want to do anything ever. Which is not what, you know, just sometimes it's nice to hang out and do nothing, right? Just do podcast stuff, play a little bit of Xbox, just just be a dude. Just a guy trying to be a dude. You um, could, you could say I would enjoy doing nothing and just chilling out with you. Try to like include her. Like it would have been better if you did it with her. I could have just said anything better than what I said. I think. Oh, so. Mm. 
When did when did that happen? I don't even know. I mean, uh, is she not, over it, it? Oh yeah, yeah. She's it, okay. Good. Then then we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> no, no. It was just a. Uh, it was just a. Huh. Probably could have avoided that one. Um, for some friendly fire there. Um, no, she actually has a very big test on Monday, so good luck. Send some love her way for her test. Um, Sean, I don't really know. I, I think I want to start this by saying Penn State's ten and two, and. Since I found it on my phone, I think we're just going to start with the recording here of what I said on the season preview show, which, by the way, Sean, was episode 31, and this is episode 58, so we're we're, we're chugging along there. Um, This is what I said on the season preview show about what I thought Penn State was going to do and and maybe where they would end up in the bowl. Just assume the offense line is really good. We should take care of Purdue. And we got them going 10-2. Whatever you want to say, keep them healthy. They're 10-2 and two this year. They've got the depth pretty much everywhere. They've got experience and leadership pretty much everywhere. I got them going 10-2, Sean. Hmm. Ten and 10-2, Sean. You're all right. I, I, I give you, I, I've given you credit for that every week in the month of November. So... Big props to you. I predicted nine and three. I thought Auburn would be not a dumpster fire. They were a dumpster fire. And yeah, you were the one that got this one right, Corey. So kudos to you. I was trying to find. I was trying to find where I said the Rose Bowl, but we're not going to be able to find it. It's somewhere in there. I did say, I think the three hardest games are going to be Auburn, which was not true. And then I thought I had Penn State losing to Michigan and Ohio State. So I nailed that, unfortunately, which we would have won one of those. But um, I had, to be 100% transparent, I had uh, USC in the Rose Bowl versus Penn State, which is not going to be the case. It it will be a team that has a U in it, um, but it will be the Utah Utes. And, I mean, we can talk a little bit conference championship, I guess, real quick. Um, game Friday between USC and Utah was was pretty much kind of what I thought was going to happen to a certain degree. I didn't think it was going to be that bad, but I, I again it comes back to we knew USC didn't have a defense, and once Caleb Williams wasn't a hundred percent, that was kind of the nail in the coffin. They, they, Utah's defense was good enough to stop a one dimensional Caleb Williams. And USC's offense, or excuse me, USC's defense was not going to be good enough to slow down Utah the entire game. And and, and that's kind of where it ended, if you will, for, for USC. And, and that was the truth. I mean, again, they would have been exposed in the playoff. I don't even think they're going to be ranked ahead of Penn State when it comes out. I, I just don't see how that's possible, but we'll wait and see. Um, yeah, Sean, I, I, I think... I think Utah is the better team than USC, to be honest with you. I, I really do. As far as complimentary football goes, as far as, as as a whole, they don't have as good of an offense, obviously. But, man, that USC defense was – they were pathetic at the beginning of the year, and they did not get any better. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. I think Utah, they beat them twice. And that has to mean something at some point. 
and their USC looked very soft. I mean, the, there's no other way to put it. Like the tackling was pathetic against against Utah. And look, this is kind of the Lincoln Riley way. And if it doesn't change by the time he gets to the Big Ten, even if they could. You know, they'll put up a lot of yards. They'll win a lot of games because there's, we all know there are a lot of bad teams in the Big Ten. He won't ever go above 10 and 2, though, if his defenses look like they did at Oklahoma and USC. And that's, and he might have a great, and he's going to have great quarterbacks because that's what he does. And he's a great play caller. He's a good, he's great at developing quarterbacks and everything. But that's, that's going to be a problem for USC going forward if he can't if they can't figure out the defense and and yeah I agree with you I think Utah it was no um, mistake that they that they won that game I didn't expect it to be in the fashion that they did uh, but to just physically dominate USC and every and really every facet but that's kind of it's kind of the way that it played out so. Big props to Utah. I have a lot of respect for Kyle Whittingham. I think he's one of the most underrated coaches in America. I'm not sure why he's not common. Like I've been talking with Mike for it feels like years and years now about, you know, if James Franklin ever went, we have to call Kyle Whittingham. Like I think I think of him in that high regard that I would trust our that I would trust our program with him. Yeah, I don't I don't know how hard it would be to get him to leave there. I just want to say that they held USC to one for twelve on third downs. And they U, Utah ran for six point four yards per carry. They held USC to two point one yards per carry. And they forced two turnovers. Forty seven twenty four was the final there. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I, I think they play a fundamentally sound they're, they're to a certain extent they're like a slightly fat, like a little bit more fashionable version of Wisconsin to a certain degree. I mean, they're a little bit more dynam- dynamic yeah. on offense, but they're gonna they're gonna play that kind of football as far as run the rock, play good defense, and and we'll see what happens. And they're sort of the odd man out, if you will, in the Pac-12 because they are year in and year out, most of the time, the best defense in the Pac-12. So, um, will be a fun matchup. Uh, like I think I said on Twitter already, Penn State and Utah have never played each other, and so that should be that should be something there. Um, I I think the Utah trans- fans are going to travel. Well, I I don't know. Obviously, Utah was in the the Rose Bowl last year and they lost to to uh, Ohio State, but I, before that, I don't I couldn't even tell you the last time they were in the Rose Bowl if they ever were, or is that their first? I don't time? think they were. Yeah, yeah, because they weren't even in the Pac-12 till about a decade right. ago. Yeah, so you're you're looking at a team that is still looking for their first ever Rose Bowl win. So that that will be exciting. I I don't think it will have the same fluff as if it was USC, but in my opinion, Penn State's at least in my lifetime has not been very good against USC in Rose Bowl. So I'm okay with it. As far as Penn State fans are concerned, the the best outcome kind of came out of this, right? This is something that. You know, we had been saying for a while that the Rose Bowl was was likely. Uh, we just needed a little bit of help. People called us crazy for a little bit that it wasn't going to happen, but we were like, it's probably going to happen. And then all it took was 
USC getting absolutely dismantled in the Pac-12 championship. And it's and I guess we should be clear and say it's 8.30 in the morning or, or 9.30 in the morning Eastern. Um, and the, the playoff rankings haven't come out. And the bowl selections ha- aren't official. But it's all a bit of formality at this point. I think if you watch... First of all, the playoff committee show on Saturday, on Sunday, is is terrible. The fact that they announce the four best teams at 12 and then they don't announce the rest of the bowl games until 2.30 is, and most of them get leaked anyway, is just terrible. I mean, it's just, they've got to figure, I mean, and and also today, I guarantee you all they're, I'm not going to watch it, but today all they're going to talk about is whether or not Alabama deserves to get in. They're going to talk about that for like an hour and a half today, and it's going to be awful. Yeah. And, um. It's just it's just disgusting, honestly. Just just announce everything all at once. Just to just have like okay, the 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 games were all over by eleven thirty yesterday. Just have everybody have their stuff due by by eleven thirty, and then be able, be ready to roll everything out at twelve thirty. I don't know why this has to be so difficult. And I agree with you. It's it's always such a terrible thing to watch but i guess espn has to find a way to fill time for three or four hours or however long that show takes yeah it's it's pretty awful let's uh just wrap up the big or the conference championship games kansas state beat tcu in overtime 31 28 tcu almost got in or maybe did get in on a third and goal play uh in overtime and i will say this sean they still could have kicked the field goal if they wanted to. So I I don't like the, oh, they were 100% screwed. Like, in my opinion, the sky cam, it, it wasn't 100% centered over the ball. It wasn't a complete birds. So when you're when you're behind the line of scrimmage looking in, you, there is a little bit of an angle perception there. I, I don't agree with the call, but I can see it why. It seemed pretty obvious to me. But they didn't overturn it. And it was fourth and goal. They still could have kicked the field goal. They elected to. They decided to run it. They didn't get in. Um, I was really more upset that they they didn't spot the ball closer on the Max Duggan run, uh, where where they're about a yard. They put it at like a yard. It was really at the one inch line. Um, that that could have honestly made the difference too. But regardless, they could have kicked the field goal. Instead, they went for it. They didn't get it. And then the Kansas City was able to, or Kansas City, Kansas State was able to then just. Just kick the field goal and win the game. Doesn't really matter, in my opinion. I thought if and and, and we we strife with college football nerds a lot on Twitter, but I agreed with them. They were saying that t- TCU would have needed to lose by probably 15 in order for maybe Alabama to sneak in. I, I don't think an an overtime loss and a controversial overtime loss at that is going to be enough for Alabama to sneak in. And if they do. It will be one of the most disgusting things in in the history of the college football playoff to never have a two loss team in the playoff and then to put in a two loss non champion non division winner who's technically the fourth best team in the SEC um, who had lost to two teams in the SEC whose best win is a mediocre team in the conference that they're debating with the team from. Would be just would be a travesty. And Sean, I, we we said it on Twitter a little bit, but uh, and Jack, Jacob, we were actually just I almost called you Jack Sparrow, Jacob Sparrow. We're, we're about to get to it on right now. Um, the fact 
I mean, the SEC higher ups, somebody with a lot of money must have paid somebody even more money to get airtime with Nick Saban at the halftime of the Big Ten championship game. The optics of that for Fox, who is very pro Big Ten, to let a two loss non SEC team team's coach come on and speak for like eight minutes about why their team should get in when you could honestly make the argument that Penn State has maybe not as good but almost have a good of a chance it would have made more sense that they let James Franklin come on and talk than have Nick Saban come on I mean I I get it Alabama has two close losses and that's what everyone wants to talk about but no one's talking about you know their lack of good wins in my opinion Sean I would rather see, and and I'm not saying that Alabama is worse, but I would rather see Tennessee in front of Alabama because they, again, they they won on the field against them, and I know they got blown out, but they still beat them, and they had the same number of losses. And, Sean, if Alabama somehow sneaks into this playoff, it will be the most eye-test, we just think the best team deserves to get in. And at what point do we say, yes, we want the best teams, but you got to prove it on the field. And Penn State fans, more than anybody, know how frustrating it is when Penn State went 10-2 and in the regular season, won the Big Ten championship, and then their own uh, conference commissioner didn't even root, didn't even advocate for the conference champion to get into the playoff. Instead, Ohio State did. It, it would be a travesty, Sean. It would be, and I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be an absolute travesty. Think about, so Saban going on the Big Ten championship game. I didn't have any problem with Nick Saban. With Nick Saban doing Correct. That. Nick Correct. Saban's advocating for his team. And if James Franklin was given the opportunity to go on to the this is what the equivalent would be. It would be if Nick, if James Franklin went on at halftime of the SEC championship game on CBS, everybody would be like, why is James Franklin here? <laughs> and, and rightfully so. They'd be like, this guy, he's not even an SEC coach. And it, 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 if he just magically appeared on CBS. But th- so that's really what the equivalent would be. But if he did. In the chance, in the off chance that he did, I'd have no problem with James Franklin doing it because you're campaigning. I told, I told my girlfriend, Nick Saban's campaigning right now. Like this is campaign season. The problem was that Fox gave him the platform to do it, and I just, I don't think that's right. And that's kind of just, that's kind of how I feel about that. And yeah. I agree with Corey. I, I think you have to put TCU in. Uh, if they played Alabama on a neutral field, do I think Alabama wins? I do, but probably not by the margin that people seem to think. I'd, I've been clear since middle or late October that I don't think this is a great Alabama team. I think they're good. Uh, I, I think they're really good. I think they would beat most teams in the country, but... Their best win is against Texas and in Austin, but they barely beat them. And if Quinn Ewers, who had an up-and-down season, but he was playing well that day, had stayed in the game, yeah, there's a good chance that they would have lost Texas. And this is a 9-3 and Bama team. So 
I don't know. I, I don't think this is I don't think this is your older brother's Alabama team. I think they have a great quarterback. I think they have a great offense, but that defense is not great. It's meh. Take it or leave it. So yeah, that this is not the team. This is not the first this should not be the first 10 and 2 team to make a playoff. And look, going back to us in 2016. And this might get a lot of people mad. Looking back at it, eh, I don't really feel too bad for us not getting in. Don't lose the pit. Don't don't lose the pit. Don't get blown out by Michigan. Yeah, I I, it's I mean, <laughs> what, what do you you know? <laughs> it's funny you bring that up because we were talking. You know, you, you you tweeted out in the account about whether Penn State should play Pitt, and that got a lot of conversations going. Oh yeah. But, I think the biggest thing about that conversation was the non-conference scheduling moving forward. So when people remember that 26, I agree with you, by the way, Sean, I, I totally get it, right? If you're not going to put a 10 or a two lost team in because they got blown out by Michigan because they lost the fit, whatever, I, I, I'm fine with that. I get it. Ohio State only had one loss. So again, that differentiates them, which is why I think TCU should be differentiated from Alabama. They only have one right. loss, and it was in a conference championship. It's not like they even lost during the regular season, and it was in overtime. So I think that that argument's pretty much sealed. Um, but about the scheduling, I think people need to remember that coming into the committee and coming into the playoff, people were told that strength of schedule was going to matter. And so it was like, if you have an out-of-conference win, that was supposed to look good. If you lost an out-of-conference game, it wasn't supposed to really hurt you. That's what we were kind of told. And then in that 2016 year, Penn State lost the pit. Washington played, I think, one of the worst non-conferences in the history of non-conference schedules. And they went undefeated, right? Or did they they have one loss? I couldn't even tell you. I think they were. I think they had one loss. I think they had one loss too. And so the, I guess the 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 point is, well, what if they would have scheduled even at Pitt? Maybe they don't even win at Pitt. And so since that year, the uh, administration said, okay, we're not gonna schedule tougher games. The West Virginia game had been scheduled for a long time. The Auburn game had been scheduled for a long time. And what have they done since then? They've scheduled Nevada. They've scheduled Temple. They've scheduled Syracuse. They've scheduled all those crappy teams. And the reason is, is they they, they did a complete 180. They're like, it's better to, to win all your comp, non-conference games than to get tripped up by somebody. Because in the long run, it's better just win them than roll the dice in order to get a better win. I mean, take, for example, this year, Sean. Let's just do a hypothetical and say Penn State does beat Ohio State, right? So their only loss is to Michigan. Let's say it's a little bit closer. And... Let's say Penn State loses to Auburn. They, they wouldn't get any sort of credit or love from anybody if they lost to Auburn. And, and assuming Auburn's still terrible, they wouldn't get any credit. They wouldn't get any love. They would still be in the same position they're in. So And they got no credit for winning that game, even though it was an at-SEC environment and what I would consider a top-15 environment in the country. No love, no sort of respect whatsoever. And that's the whole point. There is no reason in the four-team playoff to schedule out-of-conference games that matter. There's no reason to. There's no benefit to it. They they don't bail you out. And, like, take Oregon's 
for example. Oregon was a one-loss team who got blown out by Georgia in week one with with pretty much an outsider's chance looking in at the playoff from that point on. Even when they were on that tear for a little bit, we didn't think it was going to last, but that conversation came up a couple times around the middle of October. Like, okay, what happens if Oregon goes undefeated? Do we let them in? And and it was hilarious to me that people were like, oh, no, you can't do that. They already got blown out. Well, first of all, it's week one. And when does one game on in a non-conference sort of on the road kind of take you out of that? But that's the whole point. So that's why all the conference scheduling, non-conference scheduling happened the way it is. And the only saving grace to all of it, Sean, is that when we go to a 12-team playoff, which, by the way, breaking news, that is going to happen starting in 2024 now instead of 2026, which is very exciting. The best thing about that, in my opinion, is now teams can afford to lose a second game, 100%. Right now, maybe you could, but probably not. 100%, you can lose a second game and still make it in the playoff, which the stay-at-four cult is going to try to tell you, oh, that's not good, That all the games are meaningless. No. Now that means we can schedule an Auburn, we can schedule a Pitt, we can schedule, I don't know, a Utah, and it's not going to hurt your chances at making the playoff, which just means better non-conference football. That's what everybody wants. And the more non-conference football you have, the more data points you have to compare teams. So it, it helps the entire way of thinking when it comes to this whole playoff thing. So in a long run, it's it's a beautiful thing that, that that's coming. And that's kind of why it's been struggling in the past. Right now, we can't even compare teams, Sean. We have no way of comparing a TCU to an Alabama besides the one game they played against Texas. It would be glorious if we had two or three data points with maybe TCU playing an SEC team, maybe with... Alabama playing, whatever the case may be, we don't have those right now. We have one Texas data point. Just like if we were trying to compare Alabama to Penn State, we would only have the one Auburn data point. It would be beautiful if we had more, and and hopefully that's going to come more when we go to the 12-team playoff. I know I said a bunch right there. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So with Michigan, was there any discussion last night of, they didn't play anybody in out of conference. Did anybody bring it up, um, you know, at all? No. Nope. I think what does matter is your overall conference and how much leeway you get. And, like, there are some years that I think if you're a one-loss, um, heck, even a one-loss Pac-12 team or a two-loss Pac-12 team or ACC team, you might not, like if Clemson finished with one loss, I don't think, I don't know if they would have gotten in over Ohio State. I, I, I don't know that. It wouldn't be a slam dunk and that's because their conference is weak. Do out-of-conference games matter? Not a whole lot, at, uh, but you have to avoid, I agree with Corey, you have to avoid that blowout and Oregon had that blowout. Do I still think Oregon would have gotten in if Without that blowout loss, uh, or with that blowout loss, if they won out, probably, but it wouldn't be a slam dunk. I mean, it wouldn't be, and it it just, it just wouldn't be. And 
I think they would have gotten in over Ohio State because everybody watched that Ohio State-Michigan game and they got completely exposed. And, you know, maybe Clemson would have gotten in, but the conf- the you need a stronger you need it you still need a strong conference to give you flexibility um and then with the with the expansion yeah i mean i think it i think it devalues the regular season a bit and one of the great things about college football always was well it could be great if you look at it one way it could be bad if you look at it another way is that one week could be done and the Michigan Ohio State game, yeah, it wouldn't have this. It, God, I, I guess it really didn't have much meaning <laughs> this year because they're both going to get in. But most years it would have. And now it's definitely not because they're both going to be in the top 12 unless one of them has three losses. And even then they might be in the top 12. Like Kansas State would be in this year. Because they're the Big 12 champion, and they're, but they have, they have three losses. Utah would be in, and they have three losses. So that's going to happen. And, heck, I think there are some years a four-loss Alabama team could make it in. But that would only be for an SEC team. A four-loss Big 10 team is not making the playoff. So it, it will devalue the regular season a bit. But am I still for expansion? I am because I think all the benefits outweigh, I think all the pros outweigh the cons gives you um, like right now, the playoff games generally suck. I mean, if you watch the playoff games, they're non-competitive. Most of them are non-competitive games. And now the person, the people who are against playoff expansion will say, well, you're just going to have more non-competitive games and the top four teams are going to dominate. Mm, first off, if you watch March Madness, the best part of March Madness isn't the final four. That's the ultimate goal. But it's the games before it that really give it the magic. It's the Sweet 16 games and the Group in the round of 32 games that really give it. Um, it's the first weekend that, in in my mind, really make it special. And you're going to have something similar to that now in college football, and that's something we've never had before. And I think it's going to be cool. I think it's going to be awesome seeing, uh, seeing games on col- on different campuses, seeing uh, a whiteout in Happy Valley in December. I think is going to be. I think it's going to be cool to see. There's going to be a lot of white coats bought in the month of December leading up to it. So that that'll be that'll be fun. And and yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of good football games. Will a top four team usually win the national championship? Probably. Probably. But I don't think every year. Like this year, if Bama got knocked off, or Georgia got knocked off, it's wide open then. I mean, that would be, if, if it was this year, if the playoff expansion happened this year, Georgia loses its first game. I mean, anybody could win that because I don't think there's a whole ton of separation between teams two, between teams two and maybe six or seven. So I think it would be, I think it'd be cool to see. I think a lot of people try to like make one team every year like so much better than every other team. And I know I know Georgia just just 
destroyed LSU in the SEC championship game. I get that. But we didn't think LSU was very good to begin with. And so, to me, that wasn't that impressive of a win. I, I mean, I know they manhandled them, but I wasn't overly impressed because I knew LSU wasn't great. I agree with you, though, 100%, Sean. I think the best part about expansion, and I wouldn't have gone to 12, but the best part about expansion is going to be those home games in the, that first round. I wish they'd do it for the quarterfinal, too, but and that first round is going to be great. I think the other cool thing is, just like you said, nobody thinks that, 10th best team is as good as the number one team. But what this allows is instead of the playoff committee deciding who is the best teams, those five through 12 teams now have earned the right to play a game in order to prove themselves. So now, okay, you think Penn State is the seventh best team in the country. I might think they're the sixth best team in the country. Maybe Jacob Sparrow on YouTube thinks they're actually the number four team. Well, we can all have our opinions on it. And with the lack of data points in the non-conference, it's really hard to 100% know for sure. The only thing we know for sure is that they're they're the third best team in the Big Ten. What the playoff says and will allow is Penn State, we don't think you are a top four team. But... We're going to give you a chance to prove it. You can now go and play in a first-round game against another team that is looking to prove it. And if you win that game, you then get a chance. You, you get a seat at the dinner table. And, and that's all people wanted. I, I think the uh, the stay-at-four cult is, is losing the idea exactly what you said, Sean. People aren't trying to say that Penn State is, is worthy of playing in the national championship right now. Nobody's saying that. All we're saying is they deserve a chance to prove whether they are or aren't. And the exciting games are going to be in that first and maybe second round. Nobody's expecting every semifinal to be all of a sudden super competitive. But to your point, they hadn't been competitive already anyway. So we're not really losing very much there. I I, I agree with you 100%. I'm excited for it, and I think it'll be a good time. Um. We had some people talk about Pitt a little bit on there. Um, yeah, I agree, Jacob. I, I think Penn State destroys Washington in 2016. Um, USC was just a, a, a really tough matchup. Um, and I just love the people on Twitter that were trying to, with the benefit of hindsight, with the benefit of knowing Clemson beat Ohio State 31 nothing, we're still trying to argue with us that Penn State wouldn't have given it a better game. I, I don't care... You could honestly argue. I know Penn State beat Ohio State, but that Penn State-Ohio State game was one of Penn State's worst offensive performances of the entire season, and they still won the game. That was not indicative of what they potentially could have done later down the road. I mean, the offense really didn't get going until after that game, and they looked a lot better post-Ohio State than during Ohio State in 2016. Um, But anywho, anyway. I think that's enough about that. Again, Penn State will play Utah. It will be, Sean, a little annoying. Rose Bowl and the the Tournament of Roses committee does not play the Rose Bowl on Sundays. And this year, New Year's Day is on a Sunday. So the Rose Bowl is not on New Year's Day. It is on January 2nd, 
which is a Monday at five Eastern. So keep that in mind, everybody. Um, I, I'm, you might not have already looked into it that much yet, but um, it is not going to be on New Year's Day. It's going to be the day after New Year's, which will probably mean it might be the only game that day because I don't think anyone else has those kind of rules. Um, so so pay attention to that. No, they're, they're all being played that day. They're all going to be moved? Okay. I'm because the NFL is on Sunday. Yeah. Okay, so they're all going to be on the second, which kind of stinks because New Year's Day college football is really exciting. So, um, so pay attention to that, and um, and yeah, I mean, I it stinks because I probably actually have to work on that Monday. But what are you going to do about it? I heard you're going to be sick. Yeah, I could. I I don't have like the differentiation from sick and PTO, uh, so it doesn't really help me there as far as being sick. Um, that's a whole different rabbit hole. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll have plenty of time just to give everyone kind of a, a housekeeping of what the plan is. We're going to stay to two a week until the bowl game. Then we'll go to one a week roughly after that. Um, this Wednesday, Adam Bittner is going to be joining us to discuss, I'm sure a, a whole host of topics, but again, to discuss a little bit more about Drew Aller, if Drew Aller playing would have made a difference this year. Um, he, I'm going to tell you right now, he views this year as a as a stinging disappointment for Penn State. He is in the camp that Penn State could have maybe snuck out uh, an 11th win and made it into the playoff. And and this was a huge mistake by Penn State to start Sean Clifford. We'll let him debate that with us on wednesday so he'll be on wednesday uh we're going to talk recruiting today and then we still have look at that we still got one two three four five six episodes before the rose bowl game sean so we'll have plenty of time to break down the rose bowl moving forward no real reason to break it down yet we don't know how many teams or how many, excuse me, how many players are going to forgo it? We don't really know any of that kind of stuff yet. I think I saw Nate Bauer on YouTube said uh, he doesn't think from Blue White Illustrated, he doesn't think there's going to be as many people foregoing the, the bowl game as maybe last year. So keep that in mind. We'll obviously learn more uh, in a little bit, Sean. It makes sense because if you grew up in Big Ten country, and you're somebody younger than the, all these kids are younger than us now. The Rose Bowl is always a big deal. And most of these kids are from around here. And if you, if you're from around here, you go to a big 10 school, the Rose Bowl, uh, to quote the SEC, it just means more than the other bowls outside of the playoff games. And yeah, so that doesn't surprise me too much because it's hard to it, it, it's hard to convince a kid to get up to play the Outback Bowl when they're already graduated, when they're already having their eye on the NFL. And I'm actually surprised that more people didn't sit out the bowl games before. Like before, I think Christian McCaffrey was the first big name person to sit out a bowl game. He sat out like the Sun Bowl or something. And a lot of people freaked out. And at the time, I said, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I couldn't blame him for that because the NFL running back shelf lives are pretty short. And you don't want to screw your career up. 
but I think the Rose Bowl tends to mean a little bit more to to players than your, even even a New Year's six than even your typical uh, New Year's Six Bowl. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how kind of where I weigh in on that one. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I was just gonna say just to circle back real quick to what you were saying about getting Nick Saban onto the Fox halftime. That is why the SEC is perceived to be the top football conference because they do go out of their way to push the envelope. And you can say what you want, but when you when they when they talk, I, I, we don't know. It's speculation as far as if they threw money at Fox, but we're assuming they did. That does, I don't know, at least provide symptoms that they do care more that it does mean more since we don't see that happening elsewhere we didn't see the acc try to get clemson involved after blowing out unc oh and by the way unc lost again shocker um we didn't see that from anyone else so you got to respect it to that certain degree that they care that much i i do respect that um it will be interesting to see like in alabama I saw they already have a bunch of people in the transfer portal. Like a team like Alabama for the Sugar Bowl, assuming they go to the Sugar Bowl, they'll likely play Kansas State or they will play Kansas State. You know, how many of those guys sit out? The Clemson, Tennessee, Orange Bowl, how many Tennessee players? I saw that their offensive coordinator for Tennessee has already accepted the job at USF. So, you know, again, just – do we see that across the board? I, I'd say probably yes. Um, anywho, I see there's some comments about Drew Aller and what they could accomplish. Um, I'll just read. I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because we're, we're saving it for Wednesday, Sean, but I'll read out some. Jacob said, I would agree with Adam. This team had so much talent. It came down to coordinator adjustments more than anything else in the big games. Kara says, Long-time fan, by the way. Very long-time fan. Back when it was just college football podcast stuff. Kara's been around for a while. Uh, Aller, in the long run, will benefit from Cliff staying this year. It goes beyond the football field. I tend to agree with Kara there a little bit, but that's just me. Um, Okay. Let's get back to the show notes so I don't lose track too much there. So we talked bowls a little bit. Again, those will all come out a little bit later today. Um we didn't even really talk that much about the Big Ten championship, but Purdue did not. Did beat. Purdue win? Purdue did not. I did not. Um, I had him in a parlay. Did you? No. <laughs> Wouldn't have been the worst thing. It would have been you could have done a one. You could have done like a two leg parlay. And probably made some yeah. You could, you could even pick all the fa- pick. Well, that wouldn't have worked either if you kind of play it safe, pick all the favorites, and then you pick that one game, but. Yeah, that wouldn't have worked anyway, even if the, the STC lost. And SC was the, S, SC was the favorite in Pac-12 championship game, right? Yeah. I, I do want to point out one more and just say that Tulane did beat UCF 45-28. So Tulane's going to be the the G5. They'll probably play USC in the Cotton Bowl, I think is what I'm seeing now. Which Tulane, That's perfect. US, that is perfect as far as – that game seriously might be like 65-60. to 60. Yeah, it'll seriously. actually be really entertaining. So that that is perfect. That's much better than a Tulane versus Penn State matchup for sure. Um, 
The only other thing I was going to say was former uh, Penn State opponent Ohio lost to Toledo in the MAC championship, seventeen to seven. So, if Ohio would have won that game, you could make the argument that would have been Penn State's best win. Not really. I wouldn't make that argument, but some people. It's a little sad, but yeah. Um, I was sort of hoping Purdue would have won just to say we beat the Big Ten champion on the road, but. I knew you would, and you would lead with that too. Yeah, I totally would. You would definitely be like, "We beat the big, the Big Ten champion." Uh, before we get into the fan questions, which is next on the schedule, Sean, I just wanted to ask because I think you said this before, but I want you to reiterate it now. So, yeah. Utah is going to be a top ten team. Penn State's going to be a top ten team. You love throwing the top ten record out there more than I do. Fans love throwing out the top 10 record for James Franklin. Haven't won one since since the 2016 season. We we already said the Rose Bowl probably won't have as, like, the Rose Bowl as far as, like, talent in the game is going to have more actual talent. It's going to be a closer representation to what the team really was that year than most bowl games. Obviously, Joey Porter Jr. has already forgot, forgot it. Forgot it? Is that the past tense? Forgot it? I think so. For goad. I think it's it might actually be for goad. It might be for goad too. Um yeah. anyway, he's the only one so far, which is a pretty big loss, but for the most part, we think most teams are gonna be relatively to their strength. That being said, how how important is this to win not just the bowl game? Because I don't think the bowl game record is as important as it used to be, but just to say this season that Penn State did beat a ranked opponent and would would be a top 10 opponent at that. I think it's very important. And, like, you want to, like, the goal is, in my mind, to beat, you know, your goal is to go 1-0 every week and win all your games, but you want to beat good teams because, look, nationally, and people don't respect Penn State the same way and a lot of that has to do with we just haven't beat anybody anybody that good the best team we beat like like Corey said think about it if Ohio won yesterday you can make a serious argument that Ohio would have been the best team we beat all year and that's I think does anybody want that (laughs) I mean like and really the best team we beat this year probably Purdue and they're a nice team but they're eight and five and then there's Maryland, who I don't think is anything special. And like that, these are just average, decent, mediocre teams. And I think it is important to get that one. And look, I think this Penn State team is really good. I, I do. I think this is a better team than the 2019 squad. And I like the 2019 team. They had a lot of really good players. They had a lot of great players on it. Um, but if you were to, to tell me I have to pick one to win a game, I would take this team. And it's because they're a more complete team. They're better consistently on the ground. I I love Jeremy Brown, but I don't think – and his offensive line, it wasn't bad, but I don't think they were as good as this one, especially with Olu on it. And – yeah, I just think they have a that they have more depth, and yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my reasoning there. But they had a win against against Michigan, and 
they didn't play a Michigan team like this one and they got to play them at home, but it was still a marquee win. It sucked they had to play Memphis in the bowl game, but, you know, is what it is. And, but yeah, it's important. I think this bowl in particular is more important than, than winning than winning one in most years. And, and you're right, Corey. If we got to the Citrus Bowl and a lot of guys sat, then I really wouldn't think exactly the same way. But knowing that most guys are probably going to play, even the guys that are going to declare, I think it it uh, it magnifies the importance a little bit. I think it will be disappointing, and it's up to him, obviously. It would be disappointing if Jair Brown doesn't play in the Rose Bowl. If you're without Jair Brown and Joey Porter Jr., I think that's a good barometer for what next year is going to be like, but it would stink to not have those guys against Utah. Um Let's get into I the think fan. it would benefit. I think it would benefit Jair Brown to play. Like I think Jair so Brown. Nobody's talking about him being a first round pick. No, I, I it agree. Kind it, of it, made sense for Joey a little bit. I mean, I selfishly, I wish we had him, but okay, you don't want to mess up your draft stock. Jair Brown's still building a draft stock, and I think a Rose Bowl where he has an interception or a forced fumble, it's going to make scouts go, "Oh, look at this guy," you know. <laughs> and and Cam Rising, the quarterback for Utah good quarterback I, I would say he's on the same level as sean clifford i, I don't yeah. think either one's better or worse but has at some times turned the ball over a decent amount so there's going to be an opportunity for some turnovers some splash plays there um let's get in the fan questions and let's start how do we want to start let's start with uh since we were talking drew aller a little bit let's start with a drew aller one pull this guy up here and again, if you're watching on YouTube right now, make sure you've liked the video um, and, and say hi. Say where you're uh, say where you're where you're listening from or watching from. We appreciate it. Uh, waiting for this to pop up and then we shall start the recording. This first question, by the way, is from. I think Arizona Steel City, which I'm. I don't think there's that many steel plants in Arizona, but I'm guessing maybe a, a retiree, Sean. Is that what you think? Probably from Pittsburgh originally, and yeah, I live in Arizona now. All right, well, time for some fan questions. Again, you can find it and us on Twitter at HardcorePSUFB. Always taking fan questions for every single episode we have. This first one coming from Arizona Steel City. What is the long-term plan or potential changes to our offense with freshman quarterback Drew Aller taking the reins? as his passing skill sets are elite when compared to the Clifford era. Sean, I'm just going to start by saying, I don't know if we know for sure that his passing skill sets are elite when comparing to Sean Clifford. I think there is an obvious potential for them to be much better than Sean Clifford, but I'm not to the point of saying his, his skill sets are better than Clifford. I think he has a better arm. But overall, I'm still in the wait and see as far as what Drew Aller will become. Just throwing that caveat in there before we get to the actual question. We we texted a little bit between you and I and, and Higgins about, you know, Drew Aller, I think, this week. And I'm still a little skeptical, right? I, I'm not, like, red flag skeptical or anything like that. 
But there's been a couple times where he's been lacking a little bit of touch or he's been lacking a little bit of accuracy. I'm not I don't want people to come out of this and think I am thinking Drew Aller is the next Christian Hackenberg or anything like that. I don't think that's the case. I'm not trying to say that. But there has been moments where I've been like, well, it didn't look great. Now, I'm not freaking out yet or anything like that. Don't don't mean to raise the alarm. But I do have some question marks. And he has got, thankfully, a whole bowl season of practice. He's got a whole spring. He's got a whole summer before we see him take the reins, like Steel City says. So I, I'm not too concerned. But I'm I'm looking forward to the growth and development of that part of his game. I want to say something positive, Sean, because I said something sort of negative there and say I think his ability to scramble and his mobility impressed me. I I came in more skeptical of that, and he has shown me that he has the ability to move around in the pocket a lot better than I thought he did. So that is a plus. As far as what they're going to do differently, I don't know how much exactly is going to change. I think you're going to still see them wanting to run the rock, especially the two backs that they have first and foremost. I think they're still going to want to try to get the ball to the tight ends. Um, The only true difference and really could be the difference in the entire Penn State season next year is if Drew Aller is able to connect on more deep passes. Now, we have been in the camp of saying that Sean Clifford is capable of throwing deep passes, but you still want to see that percentage be higher. You still want to see – you really need to see Drew Aller hit those 15-yard dig routes consistently that Sean Clifford wasn't able to do. If if he's able to do just that alone, I think that opens up the offense a lot more. I I don't know how much it really changes because really Sean Clifford wasn't asked to run a whole bunch. I I don't think Drew Aller is going to run a whole bunch either. Um, I just think it's going to be if you can hit those middle to deep passes that allows the offense to have a little bit more creativity. Yeah. I, I, I think what he meant by um, passing skill sets, I think it's more passing. I think he meant more talent and I think, yes, absolutely. I think Drew Aller has more talent than Sean Clifford for sure. If if that's what he means, then I agree. Um, so with that, yeah, the arm strength obviously pops out. And when you think of the arm strength, like people tend to think people have a tendency, and I'm not saying everybody, to think when they think of arm strength that, oh, he could throw the ball 60 yards downfield. No, a lot of that is the 15 yard dig routes over the middle and being able to put them um, to be able to put them on a rope. And that's a huge that's obviously a huge benefit and that's something that i think Aller's going to be able to do more consistently than cliff especially by his junior year or probably even next year because they'll have another year with mike yersich if you want to see what yersich is going to be able to do with Aller, i would look a lot at his oklahoma state stuff and what he did with mason rudolph now we're not going to be able to run exactly that stuff because we're in the Big Ten. They're in the they're in the Big Twelve. So kind of Mason Rudolph with if he was in the Big Ten and he was in a more Big Ten oriented offense with more running um, with the with the more with a more run focused style. Uh, Corey, do you think that the 
offense is going to be basically built around the run game next year or Drowler. Yeah, that's where I don't think it's going to change much, Sean. You don't? I, okay. I, I really don't think it's going to. I, again, he, it's not like he's uh, you went out and signed Peyton Manning and he's coming in and you know what to expect from Drowler. I mean, he's still going to be a, a, a sophomore quarterback who has some growing pains. I mean, it's not like he's going to come in and, and even if he meets all of my expectations and meets some crazy expectations that we've seen on Twitter, he's still going to have growing pains, right? And so yeah. I think you want to go into the season establishing the run and get, getting him confidence not just early in the season but early in the games. And I think that's got to be the focus. So, yes, I, I think it's pretty run-centric. And then as the year progresses, as he gets more confidence, then you can begin to open things up. But really, I mean, probably why people knock on Sean Clifford so much is a lot of the um, the game day approaches, the the game plan was as if Sean Clifford was a was a young quarterback. I mean, they try to get him confidence early with short passes. They try to get the run game going. That's honestly what you want to do with Drew Aller. So maybe it's a knock on Sean Clifford that he was never able to take that next step. But uh, no, I, I don't. I don't think much changes because that's exactly what you want to do for Drew Aller. Yeah. Uh, and especially with most likely a, a, a unproven wide receiver core. Yeah, yeah. That that's kind of what I think too. That initially, early on in the season, they're gonna try to work him in and. When you're a first-time starter, even, you know, all all quarterbacks have been a first-time starter at some point. Like Peyton Manning that you brought up had a tremendous college career at Tennessee. I'm sure they worked him in. Like, it wasn't just like, okay, he's Peyton Manning. Now he's going to go be Peyton Manning because you're not a genie and you can't tell the future. I don't know what Drew Aller's future is going to be. He could be an NFL Hall of Famer. Oh, but... uh, it makes more sense, especially when you have two two great backs with him, to kind of ease him ease him into ease him into things. Yeah, and I was just gonna say too. You mentioned Lincoln Riley getting quarterbacks at the beginning of the episode. Just again, I forgot to mention that uh, DJ Ulagale potentially maybe heading out west to USC or UCLA from Clemson. So keep that in mind. The reason I came back up is because Cade Luck. was that Cade Klubnik. Klubnik, he was a highly recruited player, and he played just we as much, him, yeah. just a little bit less than Drew Aller did this year. So, yep. not many, not many true freshman quarterbacks, even with the five-star rating, were were playing a lot last year or in previous years. We we made the com- comparison to C.J. Stroud before, um, and, and so forth. So, uh, I, I think they did a good job with Drew Aller in year one. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I still. When Drew Aller to start the, the the bowl game, I know now that it being the Rose Bowl, it's going to be Sean Clifford probably a hundred percent. Um, but but we can have that debate at a different point. Let's get to the next question. This is Adams uh, at slight negative. He says teams Penn State could have beat or at least competed with that played championship weekend. So let me run through the obvious ones I think that we can agree with, and then we can kind of have a debate as far as some of the ones uh, maybe, maybe not everybody agrees with. So Akron, Buffalo, North Texas, UTSA, Toledo, Ohio, 
Coastal Carolina and Troy, UCF and Tulane, Fresno State, Boise State, all 100% Penn State could beat. We agree with those? You think we could beat Troy? They have a good offense, but yes. Okay. okay. Yes, there. we agree. Um, <laughs> let's get into maybe some more of the – I still think we agree, but I wanted to separate them ones. North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think we beat North Carolina. I'm not even going to say anything. I, I, you want to expand on that a little? <laughs> no, I'm good. Um, Lionheart asked about the pick and winner. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I have been lazy with the pick and winner. I will get that done maybe today. I, we, we, it's over. It's done, but I haven't done it yet. And, and I should mention real quick, we are going to do a bowl, uh, bracket pick them thing. So keep an, a lookout for that in the next couple days as well. We'll, we'll get that going as well. So, so pay attention to that on Twitter. Um, Purdue, we agree. Right, Sean? Penn State's better? Uh, I, th- I think we beat them, yes. Yes, okay. yes, I would say so. Um, LSU? Yeah. Okay, me too. Now I guess it gets into the more trickier ones. Kansas State? It would be a good game, and I think we'd beat them. I agree. Exactly. Verbatim. Um, I'm trying to do it in order of. Let's go Clemson. Yes. You feel better about Clemson than Kansas State? Yes. Because of Kansas State's offense. With DJ, yes. With DJ, yes. Yeah, I agree with that. I I I think think we would beat them uh, probably by double digits. Yeah, I, I tend to agree there. Okay, let's go. TCU. Toss up. Toss yeah, up. I think if we play them in ten- TCU, we we lose. If we play them up here, we win. Yeah, I think on neutral side, I think I take Penn State by three. Okay, I I'm, I'm gonna have to take a, I'm gonna have to pick. Uh, I'll take TCU okay. because of Max Duggan. Man, if those on YouTube, you can let us know on, on chat as well what you're thinking. Um, would love to see Max Duggan versus Manny Diaz's defense, and that would be yeah, very fun. That's the only reason why. <laughs> Let's go Michigan. Oh, I'm sorry. I oh, forgot. Well. I forgot. I forgot a couple here. Um, Friday night's games. Akron, Buffalo, North Texas, UTSA. Yeah, we agree all there. Um, Utah, obviously, we're going to wait and see. Let's go USC. Yeah, I think we beat USC. I think so, too. Okay. They're a flawed team. Thought so all year. I think I would love to see Nick Singleton run against that USC defense. I think he could he'd put up 200-something yards on them. Um, Michigan. Michigan. I think Michigan. But it's closer ha- than it was. Yes, but I will say this. Yeah. The fact that they were able to do pretty much exactly what they did to us, to Ohio State, impressed me. Yeah, me too. Which also solidified to me that it was not a size issue, but I don't want to go down that road. Um, okay, final one, Georgia. Georgia. When I, so the question says not just beat, but at least compete with. Do you think Penn State competes with all those teams? Yes. Yeah. 
That's my thing about all of yes. this, right? Yeah. Like yeah. on Georgia's best day and Michigan's best day, yes, they could blow out Penn State. But I just don't like this idea that so many people are always trying to like tear off teams. I, I really think uh, the athletes that Penn State has and the depth that they have, I think they could compete with everybody. I wouldn't put them to beat Georgia. I, I would probably say they probably only beat Georgia three or four times out of ten, honestly. But I, I think don't they know keep, about that many, but yeah. I, I, but I think they keep it close probably seven out of ten times. Mm-hmm. So that I just think that's an important part of this because it's so easy to say, oh, they're light years ahead, right? Like people think, oh, Michigan light, is light years ahead than Penn State or Ohio State's light years ahead. I'm like, no, they're really not. Like it's not it's not like we're Indiana and they're Penn State. You know what I'm saying? Like the gap is the gap is closer than that. And I think it's sometimes important to remember that. Speaking of Ohio State and Michigan, let's go to our next question here. This is from Lucas Powers, big friend of the show, big friend of the show. Um, should we be rooting for Ohio State Michigan in the college football playoff? A Big Ten national champion would be massive for the conference. I think this goes back to the the the, the question that looms a lot during this time of year, right? Like, do you root for your conference? I've always been the big supporter of no, screw them. You want them all to lose because when the next year starts, 25 to 30% of those teams are all going to be different anyway. And so you can't really use last year's bowl games as a barometer for the conference. I will say this, and I think what Lucas is maybe trying to get at, there is a, if you were able to do it for like five or six years straight, like the SEC has, then I do think it gives you a little bit more of a, of a say, but one year is not enough. And surely we do not want to see Michigan and Ohio State winning championships year in and year out. So I would say if you're able to do it for like a decade, like the SEC has or kind of has, that gives you a little bit of leeway. And I understand what Lucas is saying. But I think a one-time college football playoff championship between Ohio State and Michigan doesn't go that far. And besides the fact that we don't want Michigan or Ohio State to win a championship, I don't think it really benefits Penn State at all. Right. And that's my whole thing with this question, with this question always. Like, even since I was a kid, like a little kid, I always rooted against the Big Ten teams. Because I just, it never made sense to me how this helps Penn State. How does it help Penn State if Michigan or Ohio State win a national championship? How does it help Penn State? Might help the Big Ten. Big Ten, I don't know if they get more money or something or the conference prestige. Okay. But I'm talking about Penn State. I'm talking about our program. How does this help us get closer to winning a national championship? And I don't, I don't think it does. Like if Michigan or Ohio State, especially if Michigan wins a national championship, that's going to be two teams in the playoff, um, the, the playoff era. Era. That's the word I was looking for. I won a national championship, and neither of those are Penn State. I don't think that's good. Like, it's already bad enough that we have to slay two dragons now. And that's kind of the, that's to me, the most unfortunate part of this season is yes, Penn State took a step forward for sure. We're back on, we're back where we were. But Michigan has moved past us, Ohio State is still ahead of us. And now we have two teams we have to catch. 
And that really sucks because we went through our whole life really only having one team. And there were teams that had that had ups here and there. Michigan did. Michigan really didn't in the last 20 years before now. But Michigan State did. Uh, Wisconsin did. But it was really a year here, a year there. But now you had Michigan two straight years dominate Ohio State, roll through the Big Ten outside of losing, getting tripped up at Michigan State last year, and win the conference. And now if Michigan wins the national championship, yeah, I, I don't, I think that does a lot of harm to Penn State, and it's something that I, that that I do that that I am concerned about because we're going to be going from playing from being from being co-second fiddlers to being third fiddle and I think that's the most unfortunate part of this season yeah I yeah we a lot said there and I think we have plenty of time in the offseason to discuss it so I'm gonna leave it at that but uh I think it's very clear it's Penn State Ohio State excuse me Michigan Ohio State Penn State than everybody else. I think there is a clear gap between Penn State and everybody else, which is good. Definitely. But it, it, it's very clear that Penn State um, is just a notch below Ohio State and Michigan at the moment. Final question, and this kind of leads us into the recruiting talk, Sean, which we wanted to talk recruiting a little bit today. This comes from a longtime listener, Einstein Von Braun, a.k.a. Mr. Mister. With the pipeline from Lackawanna College, junior college, Alive and well, is there anyone else they're looking at bringing in? Sean, I'm going to lean on you heavily for this question. Doesn't look like this year. Uh, there's a guy named Elijah Felipe, uh, but it doesn't look like Penn State's even offered him. So it doesn't look like they're going to be uh, using that Lackawanna pipeline uh, this season. I would look, though, I do think they are interested in a junior college prospect. His name is uh, Keyshawn Black's, Blackstock, but he's from Kansas. Uh, but he seems to be the only junior college guy that we're really looking into this cycle. I, I was going to mention, too, just on the lack life side of things, Tyrese Mills didn't play, I don't think, at any point this last year. Uh, was banged up. He's a guy technically at the linebacker spot now as a safety coming in, but is probably going to play outside linebacker. You don't know much about him yet, but I think that's somebody to pay attention to moving forward because um, no one knows his name. But So he might appear as if he's a new player, but but he was here this past year. Had some yeah, he trouble hurt. getting everything transferred over to as far as credits and stuff. He was trying to get in earlier, never did. But he got here, got hurt. But pay attention to him as far as the lack life moving forward. Obviously, J.B. Nelson could play a large role. Uh, and again, J.B. Nelson, sophomore eligibility. So plenty of time for J.B. Nelson to still kind of crank into things. Thank you guys so much for all the fan questions. Again, Twitter at HardcorePSUFB. I think we're over 4,100 followers on Twitter. So we appreciate that. Appreciate all the engagement on Twitter throughout the season. First full year on Twitter talking just Penn State football only. And you guys have been awesome. A, a lot of, I, I don't want to name everybody, um, but uh, there's been a lot of, I guess, regulars that we really appreciate. Sean, you did get a question about uh, Keno Arrington. 
You think that's somebody Penn State goes after? Possibly. Possibly. Um, that's He has a connection with LeVar. I believe he's LeVar's nephew. So, yeah, that's a he's a Keno Arrington. I believe he's for next. I think he's the 2024 cycle, I think. Let me make sure. Give me a second. Appreciate that question, Lionheart. Yeah, I know he visited this year, but like I said, I believe he is a 2024 guy. So, or yeah, yeah, I I believe I believe he is, but I'll get back to you on that one. All right. Well, thank you again for the fan questions. I guess let's talk recruiting now specifically, Sean. Um, I was trying to think about like the best way to do this. I think I'm just going to run through the 2023 commits right now. Again, signing early signing day starts sooner than later. Uh, I think what we have about two weeks until signing day. Most guys are expected to, to commit during this early signing period. And and I, I think it's not that we kind of neglected it, but we haven't talked recruiting for a while. And so I, I think it would be beneficial just to run through all the commits. Penn State has 19 right now, just so everyone's familiar with, with who's in the 2023 class. Um, right now, I, at this moment, Penn State has the 13th best class, according to 24-7 Sports and 24-7 uh, Sports Composite. Those 19 commits, there are some serious studs here. I mean, this class isn't going to be on the same level as the 2022 class. It's not going to be a top 10 class, but there's still looking like it's going to be a top 15, top 17-ish class when it's all said and done, which I don't think necessarily goes into stacking the classes per se, but it's not going to be a class that's going to hurt them moving forward. And And in some regard... There's some serious pieces in the 2023 class that I think could be very helpful, especially in the offensive line. So, um, John, did you find any more information out for, on Arrington? Yes. Uh, he's LeVar's son. Sorry about that. And, um, yeah, he's a sophomore this year. It looks like he's getting recruited by uh, – like Morgan State just offered him. So I think he would be a walk-on, if anything, at Penn State. But he might be able to do it because LeVar, LeVar's got cash. So <laughs> we'll keep you know, an eye he on him. He can pay his way through there. We'll, we'll keep an eye on him. We'll keep an eye on him. Um, all right, let's 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 go through some of these commits. Alex Berkmeyer, Sean, interior offensive lineman, was for a while the best offensive lineman in the class, especially this time last year, I think he was. Biggest thing about him is he has been one of the, the largest advocates for this 2023 class. He's kind of been a leader. Burke Meyer has been literally, I feel like at Penn State, every moment he's he, he's gotten a chance to come to Penn State, he's been there. Uh, still, I mean, I don't want to, I said it like he's not the best player in the class anymore, as if he's not good. Like he's still very, very, very good. Um, number one, still in his position, according, according to 24 7 Sports, top 50 player. Um, and in most recruiting circles, going to be a stud for Penn State. 
nice that they don't necessarily need him to come in and start right away per se, but he's going to be a guy I think we can agree that will probably play earlier than later in his career. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he pretty he really looks the part already. So, and then the other guy, obviously, and I know Corey's probably going to get to him is Javen Williams. Uh, Javen Williams is actually you passed him out in rankings. So, yeah, I mean, we have two guys coming in next year that I think have a legitimate shot to play on the line. Yeah, Williams is a guy who, I mean, just shot up everyone's board. I think right now on three has him as the number one offensive lineman, I believe, uh, or maybe at least number one offensive tackle right now. Uh, from Pennsylvania, number one player in the state. I mean, I, I again, I don't think Penn State with Olu Fashion coming back is going to be expecting Williams to play as a freshman. Not very many offensive linemen do, but he's another guy who again probably see him playing earlier than later. Then there's like a string of defensive guys I wanted to talk about. Tony Rojas. The film this year I think has supported everything everyone thought already. He's a guy that's going to be. I don't want to put him on like I don't think it's fair to compare him to like an Abdul Carter, but I think he has the ability to fly around the field like Abdul Carter has been able to show. Uh, number two player from the state of Virginia. Ooh, this was a big get when I got him. I'm technically only a four star, but this this was I, just thinking about uh, 2024 and Abdul Carter and Tony Rojas running around the field together is is pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. Rojas was always kind of seen as a Penn State lean, but it, it got hairy there. Um, Georgia made a push. Uh, Clemson made a push. But yeah, ultimately, he ended up at Penn State. And yeah, he's especially if Curtis Jacobs uh, decides to go to the NFL next year, he's going to be a guy that we're going to want to be ready to play. And hopefully, hopefully he is. And hopefully, regardless if Curtis Jacobs comes back or not we could have him at least as a depth guy. For sure, I see for him sure. playing the playing on the outside too, so it would help it would help with uh supporting Jacobs and Carter. Let's talk St. Thomas Aquinas, King Mac safety, uh Conrad Hussey, technically a safety right now, both from the same high school, both teammates. Um just huge get for Penn State to get both of these guys. As far as I can tell, both are still committed to Penn State. Both four-star guys. St. Thomas Aquinas has been sort of a hotbed for Penn State. What are your thoughts on these two guys? I, I think, what, will both stay at safety, Sean, or do you see one of them moving to linebacker? Uh, yeah, I think Hussey was the one always discussed as possibly moving to linebacker. And Hussey is, you know, he's taken a lot, he's taken a lot of visits. So he's somebody you have to keep an eye on from what I understand. I think he'll stay at Penn state and I think he's going to sign. And he's, like I said, he's somebody that I think has a lot of versatility. King Mac is one of the freakiest athletes in this whole class. I don't just mean Penn state's class, but I mean the uh, 2023 class as a whole. So and from what I understand, there's really not been that much drama with him. And Florida recruiting, especially in the NIL era, you have to constantly be on these guys. But from what I understand, 
King Mac is pretty solid with Penn State. So I do expect both of these guys to end up in the class when it's all said and done. Yeah, I think actually Penn State, some of the assistant coaches might be down in Florida right now or, or were down in Florida. Uh, let's stay in the South. Zakari Nelson, he's another guy, right, that could maybe move from safety to linebacker. Um, yeah, from yeah. Selma, Alabama. I know he visited – he was the one I visited Ole Miss, but didn't think anything really came out of that, right? So, Zakari uh, Nelson, just, an, again, another defensive back, another four-star, another top 300 player from the South that, that that is most likely coming to Penn State at this point. Yeah, from Alabama. And that kind of shows you that it's good to – play teams like Auburn. It's good to have a national schedule and to, and to be able to recruit nationally. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure Corey's going to get to Elliot Washington, but Elliot Washington and King Mack and uh, Conrad Hussey, like these are guys that if we didn't have the Florida connections, we do, I don't think end up in this class, but Jaywan Sider is a magician and he's able to convince kids from Florida to come up here and be in, uh, let's see here, 30 degree weather in December. So I think that pipeline's gonna gonna stay strong this year, and that's good to see. Yeah, let's. Um, I, there's two guys that I think are. I, I well, l- let's stay with another guy in Florida first, because there's two guys I want to kind of group together that I'm really excited about. Um, not that I'm not excited about Elliot Washington. Former Alabama commit, ninth best player according to 24-7 sports. Again, listen at safety, probably gonna play corner, right, Sean? Um, he's a guy that could go either way. I think we're gonna be putting him at corner though. Yeah, from Venice, Florida. Uh just just another really talented player. Now we said this before. It wasn't like he was really committed to Alabama. Alabama is getting a bunch of really good players. It, I, I wouldn't call it a true flip like you would some other places. But nonetheless, Alabama did offer him a scholarship. And, and right now, uh, Michigan State went off after him really hard. But it, it's still a huge gap for Penn State. For sure, for sure. And he was committed to Bama. Uh, but like Corey said, it wasn't – it didn't surprise anybody. What surprised people – was who he committed to. He was seen as a heavy Michigan State lane. And then out of nowhere, he committed to Penn State. It was um, it was an odd couple weeks because, if I remember correctly, it was right after Marcus Stokes decommitted and went to Florida. And if you're not familiar with what's recently happened with Marcus Stokes, look it up. And we got Elliot Washington and just felt like, oh, well, at least we got this guy. Um, so, yeah, it was a big deal to not only flip him, but to keep him away from Mel Tucker. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think now, especially with, with that Michigan State defense struggling for back-to-back years, I'm curious if that's going to hurt Michigan State on the recruiting trail uh, at all. I wanted to go to Andrew Andrew Rappelier and – Carmelo Taylor next because I think these two guys in the last year have really gone up the boards a bunch. Taylor was a three-star when he first committed to Penn State. Now he's a four-star. His game tape has been phenomenal this year. He's running past a lot of people. I think he is one of my favorites 
to play a large role in a 2023 season. Uh, I, I, he's a speedster, and I'm, I'm excited for him. And then Rappelier, I think he was a three-star when he first committed to Penn State as well. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was between Penn State and Michigan. Was he? He, he was committed. He committed to Michigan. from Michigan. Yes. Yeah. So that has been a. I mean, he's a six foot five, two hundred twenty five pound tight end, and he has shot up the boards. Now I think he's top three hundred nationally. I think he's on on three. I think even likes him more. So that, that turning out to be a huge commit in Rappelier. For sure. Yeah. Uh, he's. You know, we got after him. We stayed after him when he was committed to when he was committed to Michigan and he ended up flipping, um, I believe that was in the summer. So that was, that was a nice gift for us. And yeah, Carmelo Taylor, like before the season, I saw him as a guy who's definitely going to redshirt next year. And I still think he has to get stronger if he's going to, if he's going to get a bit, if he's going to have a big role, because right now he's listed at 160 pounds. Typically when you're underweight like that, they're giving you a few pounds. So you can't be in the 150s playing in the Big Ten. So if he could beef up to about a buck seventy, yeah, because you can't teach speed, and speed kills. And it's something that I think Penn State lacked at times from the receiving position this year. Like we, but so yeah, if he could beef up a little bit, then yeah, I think he's got a she's got a shot at playing uh, this coming season. Because you're right, he had a fantastic uh, senior season. Yeah, you don't want to look ahead too much, but the receivers definitely have some serious potential next year, at least exciting potential, right? I mean, Caden Saunders hasn't played very much. Amari Evans showed a little bit, but not a bunch. Um, I think we talked in the last episode, but Eiler, Ivy Johnson didn't play very much, if at all. There's some serious potential down the road for those guys, and then you bring in a guy like Carmelo Taylor. It's like, oh, maybe, maybe something's growing there. And then, of course, you still have... Andre Lambert Smith, you still have Trey Wallace, you still have see what Liam Clifford's able to do. Um, and and maybe even Parker Washington back. To, I want to go to a guy we probably should have already mentioned and we haven't mentioned, and that's Tamir Robinson. A guy who is right now 6'4, 225 pounds, was originally when Penn State first recruited him a safety, and he's just kept moving closer and closer to the line of scrimmage uh throughout his high school career as he's continued to grow. Could pledge could play linebacker, could just kind of play everywhere. He's, he's again, one of the better athletes in this class, Sean. Yeah, he is. He's a good guy in coverage, too. So we talked in the offseason about wanting, about how this Manny Diaz defense could be moving toward being so quasi-positionless. And, like, if you're a basketball fan, positionless basketball is kind of all the rave right now. Kind of all the rage right now, I should say, not rave. And it's kind of bleeding into football a tad. And guys like Tamir Robinson are who they think of when they think of positionless football. Because I think he he, is... gives you so much versatility and look, I don't know. I don't know if Manny Diaz is going to stay here for his whole college career. I would bet he doesn't, but if we go with another defense coordinator with a similar philosophy, then yeah, you're going to have be able to put him at edge. You're going to be able to put him in linebacker. You're going to trust him in coverage. Like I think Tamir Robinson is kind of 
the t- is is the type of athlete that you're going to be seeing more and more on the defensive side of the football as football continues to evolve and as people continue to evolve. And you have people who are lanky like him. He's he's six four, but you trust him in, in pass coverage, and that's kind of just how people are people are now and people are bigger people are faster that's just evolution so as people evolve so will that's football. just evolution baby um let's let's go to some maybe more underrated guys here that i think definitely need to be mentioned jameel lyons edge player from roman catholic huge connection to roman catholic not just in football but but obviously in basketball for a while for penn state uh, what what are your thoughts on him? He's a, he's a top 300 guy as well. I think he's like third best in the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, 6'4", 255. He, uh, I believe Manny Diaz and James Franklin were both down to see him recently, I, I either yesterday or the day before. So, yeah, it was big to keep him, to keep him home. Uh, he committed pretty early on in the cycle. And, yeah, he, um, you know, a lot of length. Uh, a lot of speed and yeah, I could see him being a guy that, you know, has a chance to play a lot of good football for us and to keep that Philadelphia connection strong is, is vital for this program. Really. If you want to have a chance to catch the Ohio States and now the Michigans of the world, you need to be able to keep guys from Philly home. And I think in previous cycles, like the cycle, not not the 22 cycle, but maybe the 21, 20 cycle. We lost a lot of guys from Philly that we really should have been able to keep home. So keeping a guy like Jameel Lyons, uh, having him go and play with his uh, Philadelphia counterpart in Abdul Carter. Yeah. I think that's the type of guy you have to be able to keep at home. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Ken Talley was from Philadelphia too, right? He was. Yeah. So yeah, that, was. that was one that transferred out already. Um, Let's go, Mateus Barnwell. Not not sure where he's going to end up as far as where he's going to play, Sean. Yeah, I would say it'll probably be an offensive tackle, especially with the tight ends we have. Uh, but I think if you asked him, and this was kind of a reportedly a disconnect between him and Franklin, he'd want to be a tight end. But maybe Franklin was able to convince him to play tackle or maybe Franklin's like, well, we'll see how you do with tight end. But if we think you're better off a tackle in the long term, then we're going to put you at tackle. But yeah, he gives you a lot. He's another guy gives you a lot of versatility. And really, I feel like the word versatility keeps coming up with all these guys. And I think that speaks to the type of athlete that they, that they've been able to bring in this class. Yeah. That we think they're going to bring in. They're not signed yet. Yeah. Speaking of another potential tight end, that's another reason too, that you have Rappelier, and you also have uh, Joey Schaffler, another tight end from Pennsylvania. He's also six foot six. But just to give you an idea, Barnwell, six foot six, two fifty. Schaffler, I can't say that. Schlaffer. I, I don't know why I'm struggling with that. Um, he's six foot six, two fifteen. Schlaffer. Yeah, Schlaffer. So there's a 40 pound difference between him and, and Barnwell. Just just to throw that out there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like if if 
Barnwell were to play tight end, he'd be more in the blocking role than the receiving role as compared to a guy like Schlafer or Schlaffer. Schlafer? Definitely not Schlaffer. We had John Schaefer. That's true. But there's no L there. <laughs> uh, Dunkow, Virginia, 310, 6'5", going to be playing on the inside. I, I think maybe an underrated member of this class, Sean. Yeah, yeah. He's a guy that I think that, like, the insiders tend to like more than uh, he's kind of rated. I think that there's – and, look, he, he has a four-star rating from 24-7 sports right now. So I think that kind of, like, if you listen to their pod, they, they, they like they like this Anthony Donka kid. And he's going to get overshadowed a bit by his class members, uh, Burke, Meyer, and Williams, because they're two of the top four guys and as seen by the recruiting services right now. But, I mean, look, I'll say this. Offensive line is, a, is in my opinion, the most difficult unit to grade out of high school. Like, I remember way back when he signed John Urschel right before signing day. And he was just a three-star guy. And he ended up being such a big success, not only on the football field, but he's just as known in the classroom. And I believe he teaches at, like, MIT or something now. So the guy's a genius. Uh, Olu Fashion, who was the best offensive tackle we've had since Levi Brown, and he was a three-star guy. So it's I, and then we've had guys. Uh, I'm not going to name names that really didn't materialize for us as five-star offensive line recruits. And it's just every position is difficult to evaluate, but I think especially on the offensive line. So yeah, I mean, there's a world that exists that Donka ends up being better than Williams and Burke Meyer and. A lot of a lot of people who cover this for a living really do like uh, Anthony Donka. Yeah, let's go to well, maybe I'll save him for last. Uh, Lamont Payne, another corner. He signed, committed September of 2021, so he's been a member of the class for quite some time. Maybe kind of forgotten a little bit. Um, not the highly most highly rated guy, but a tall, tall corner. Yeah, yeah. Um, good coverage guy. Um, according to Brian Doan, he said he has to be a little more effective and he has to prove that he could be effective in run support. Um, but yeah, he gives you a lot of length. And yeah, he was, I believe he committed before Burkmeyer. So he was one of, if not, or he, I actually, I think he committed after Burkmeyer. So he was the one of the first couple prospects in this class. And I think he's probably seen as a, as a leader in the class. And yeah, he's, it would be big to have him um, come in, maybe even be ready to play because we're going to lose Porter next year. We're going to lose Marquise Wilson. And yeah, we're going to need corners to play. Like I, we discussed on the last pod that I would like to see us maybe go on the portal and pick up another cornerback. So to have Lamont Wade, uh, not Lamont Wade, Lamont Payne ready to play, I think would be pretty beneficial for us. Oh, the old Lamont Wade. Uh, let's go to Tyreek Blanding, sort of maybe a newer commit in the class. 
uh, three-star defensive lineman. Not the most well-known guy, but Penn State doesn't really have a bunch of defensive linemen in this class right now. Yeah, we rolled the dice a little bit on Tyreek Blanding. And, um, yeah, he visited Michigan right after he committed to us. I do, I, I kind of, I, I, actually, maybe he didn't, maybe he skipped that. But, but yeah, he's kind of a lower rated guy. Um, we went and we offered him kind of, you know, not super late in the cycle, but like later in the summer. And he committed to us not, not too far after. He is the number one player from the state of New York. So, Pretty nice having him as an addition, 6'3", 275. So, so yeah, um, seems to be, you know, has a pretty impre- has a pretty decent offer list. Like I said, he does have a Michigan offer. He does have a Miami offer. He does have a Washington offer. So, yeah, he's a guy that uh, maybe could be a bit of a diamond in the rough for the, for the Nittany Lions. Yeah, he did visit Michigan after committing, but has since visited Penn State. Uh, this fall for a football game too. So um, not, not too worried there. What about the quarterback Jackson Smolik? Three-star guy, but kind of potentially could shoot up the, the boards a little bit more than he already kind of has from Iowa was originally committed to Tulane. Penn State needed a quarterback in the class and they got one after the decommitment from Marcus Stokes. They did. They did. And uh, Stokes decommitting, I mean, it kind of hurt at the time, but I think it I think it ended up working out. I think Smolik would be a better fit at Penn State, frankly, uh, from a from a personality standpoint, too. Um, he's the guy that uh, Alan True from 24-7 Sports actually gave a Case Keenum uh, comp to. I remember talking about that during the summer and. Penn State fans should remember Case Keenum. He was the guy from Houston that kind of ruined Tom Bradley's last game as the interim head coach of Penn State. So he was an Elite 11 finalist. That's kind of where he made a splash, kind of got onto the scene because he was, like Corey said, a two-lane commit, but he was able to snag a late Elite 11 invite. Really impressed out there. And, yeah, he's from the state of Iowa, so... We're so used to Iowa having using uh, having Pennsylvania guys that always seem to play well against Penn State. It'd be really interesting that in a couple if in a couple of years we had Jackson Smolik as our quarterback, and he's the one that ends up tearing up Iowa. I think it would be a cool role reversal in that way. Reverse, reverse. Yeah, no. Um... Let's go to your boy, London Montgomery, obviously the knee injury this year. Don't know when he's going to be ready to play yet. Still committed to Penn State. Um, still, uh, we, we hope a pretty high ceiling for him once he gets healthy. Yeah, I like London. I do. I like London quite a bit. He had a great junior season, and I was excited to go watch him play. His uh, Where he plays football, it's about a... F- five to 10 minute walk from my apartment. So I live in downtown Scranton. He plays in downtown Scranton. His school is in downtown Scranton. So um, he's, he has a lot of, you know, I think the one thing that he was a late bloomer. And I think the one thing that kind of concerned Penn state and some of the power five teams initially was his speed. 
But then he had an awesome track year. And it was a, they were able to be convinced because uh, to offer him a scholarship. And he committed uh, shortly after that. And I think their concern with the speed was kind of rooted in the area here isn't the football talent isn't really that great. And you could really if, if you have a little bit of talent, you could really kind of run all over these guys. And but he proved it at uh, at different recruiting camps at different and then at track meets that no, his speed's legit. So, yeah, I think he's. If he if he if his knee is good enough for the summer, he may have an opportunity to play, especially if Kevon Lee were to were to depart. Yeah, we'll have to pay attention to that and see if that happens. I, I save this guy for last for a reason, because we're actually going to talk about one of his teammates in a second. That is Zion Tracy, uh, committed this past fall, had a really good summer camp, especially when he was at Penn State. Uh, again, a, a fairly tall corner 5'11 guy, um, really impressed when they were doing the one-on-one drills with with actual uh, receivers that Penn State's interested in, got the commitment, and I think it's kind of going up some boards as of late, Sean. Yeah, he's a four-star in the 24-7 composite, like Corey said. He was a pretty lowly rated guy when Penn State first offered him, but James Franklin kind of known for being able to see talent before other people do. And we were able to get a scholarship offer out to him before uh, a lot of teams did. And we were able to secure a commitment from him. And yeah, he, he did really well in the summer. That's where they offered him at one of, at one of their camps. I believe he was uh, defending a Johnny Shakur who's no longer in the class and, he really, really impressed during those drills. So he's got a bit of a swagger to him. Uh, he had a good, he had a really good senior season. Uh, he's from Connecticut. Shout out to he's from Connecticut originally. Shout out to G Wiz. And yeah, he had uh, he had a very nice uh, senior season and worked himself up and to be a four star in the twenty four seven Sports Composite. So excited to have him on board. And another guy that hopefully is ready to play uh, come next year. Yeah, and the reason why I finished with him in that class, again, there's 19 commits. They're, they're currently at 13. The reason I went there is because his teammate, Joseph Mapoye, uh, is a huge, heavy Penn State lean. I think we talked about him a couple months ago that he was a lean. I think since then there's been a couple from different – couple of different recruiting sites have, have put in some leans for him to commit to Penn State. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, honestly, any day now. So Joseph Mapoye, defensive lineman, uh, edge guy, six foot five, Sean, huge length there, 230 pounds. Um, he also, to a certain degree, has kind of, I mean, he's, he's only a three-star guy, but has really kind of hopped on the radar with some teams as of late. Yeah, he's another guy. If you look at his offer sheet, it's pretty impressive. Has an Auburn offer, a Utah offer, a Michigan, and um, Miami offer. So he he's a he's kind of an underrated guy in in my opinion. And like you said, he's a teammate of uh, Mr. Tracy. So yeah, I would look for him to commit before the early signing day. I was kind of thinking that he might have committed when he was on campus. For 
I think he was here for the whiteout game, but he ended up holding off on that commitment, but I still fully expect him to join the class. Yeah, let's talk about the the elephant in the room, and that that is Daniel Harris. Decommitted from Georgia, expecting to be a, a sort of a Penn State lean, but it has not been uh, a true flip, if you will. He has not committed to Penn State yet. Still, from what I guess we've heard on 24-7 Sports Podcasts lately, it seems like Georgia's still in the thick of things, not trying to give up Daniel Harris quite yet. Um, it's going to be a battle for him, it seems, all the way up into early signing period. But but Daniel Harris would be a huge get for this class. You just talked about you know, maybe needing some more cornerback help. Another four-star guy, uh, top 150 player in, his, in the country in, in his class, a top 20 re- uh, cornerback recruit. Pretty solid size at six foot two. Um, this would be a huge get for Penn State, Sean. Yeah, he has a comp to Joey Porter Jr. Uh, Corey, was he any good? A little bit. Okay. Yeah, so he's a Miami, Florida guy. Again, J1 Sider. Gotta love it. Uh, like Corey said, though, not committed Manny yet. Diaz. Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz, too. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Manny Diaz. Yeah, and he's not committed yet, so we have to be very clear about that. But he does seem to be leading toward Penn State. Uh, but it, it's anybody's ball game, and Georgia is making a push to get him to get him back. So we talked about Elliott Washington, how you know it wasn't really a flip. This would be a this would be a flip because every, because Georgia can't use the oh well we really didn't want him excuse because no they're really in it for him they're really trying to get him back in the class uh which means NIL money's probably involved and Penn State's going to have to pony up some money to uh the, their NIL guys have to be able to pony up some money to be able to to land them and right now it looks like you know you would lean Penn State's way uh, but actually, on December 3rd, so that was yesterday, Steve Wilfong did just put in a crystal ball for Georgia. So maybe he's leaning back toward toward uh, the Bulldogs. Yeah, that's going to be when it comes down to the very end. It is no coincidence, I think, that Success with Honor, the name, image, and likeness collective, put in a fundraising goal of $1 million that has a unanimous anonymous unanimous anonymous donor uh that will match up to one million dollars so potentially two million dollars to the nil fund uh via the success with honor collective so some of that money might be going right to daniel harris who knows um so that's something to keep in mind there that's going to be one that's going to be an interesting close race probably all the way to the end i mean that that could literally be a, a hat pick one when it's all said and done um Christopher Johnson, Tyler Calavaruso mentioned him. I wanted to mention him. We, we said that Penn State still might be shopping for another running back in this class. Um, I, I think he's an interesting guy because, again, another guy from Florida, Fort Lauderdale, basically Miami, although I don't tell people that, um, in the 2023 class. I, I don't think Penn State is necessarily going to get this guy, but it's somebody that they're definitely interested in. Uh, Ole Miss Clemson still involved there as well. 
I, I think Penn State though might be getting a visit on December 9th, which which would be the last, probably his last visit, which could be maybe the nail in the coffin for Penn State. Yeah, Penn State. I mean, you always benefit, in my opinion, being the last visit. So he'll be coming up on December 9th. Let's hope there's no snowstorm or anything like crazy like that. But he's got some of that southern speed. And he's one of the fastest prospects in the entire class. So I would, so speed kills and I would love to be able to, uh, to get him in the class, but yeah, it's going to be a tough battle. Uh, Miami is, you know, they're, um, Fort Lauderdale is very, very close to Miami is anybody with knowledge of South, South Florida knows. So it's going to be tough getting away from the hurricanes, but maybe he watched like, three minutes of hurricane football this year. Maybe that could sway them uh, because they're pretty awful, but I don't, but at the same time, Mario crystal ball, um, we really don't talk about Miami a whole lot, uh, but as a Dolphins fan, I do kind of keep an eye on them. Uh, I do think he's going to turn it around there. So a guy like Christopher Johnson, I think could be uh, somebody who could help them turn it around, but I don't want him to, I want him to come to Penn state and help keep the train going up here. Yeah, he just visited Clemson, I think, on Thanksgiving weekend. So so keep that one in mind. Super duper fast. I mean, super duper fast. I mean, one of those guys ran his 200 meter dash in 20.78 seconds, which I don't think I could even run it under 30, which is just, I mean, I'm not saying I'm a premier athlete or anything, but. Yeah, I guess it maybe could run it under 30. I, I wonder if he's related to Chris Johnson, former Titans running back, who was also very fast. Um, there's a lot of Johnsons out there, Sean. That, yeah, I have a feeling like Chris Johnson, I don't know if it's the most common name in America, but it's probably like top 100. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm interested in that one. I, I really am. That could be one that maybe a lot of people aren't paying attention to, but I think you should be paying attention to. And then I haven't heard very much as of late, Sean, but I always like to talk about KV on keys because maybe it's just a pipe dream for me. Um, but I haven't heard very much lately. But with UNC maybe falling off a little bit, is there any hope that Penn State lands KV on keys? Linebackers? I think, I think there's hope. Uh, but what does uh, Red from uh, Shawshank Redemption say? Uh, hope, hope is a dangerous thing. Uh, so you can't rely exclusively on hope. Uh, if I had... To guess, I would say he signs with North Carolina on signing day. But, yeah, I think Penn State has a shot. Uh, we're going to – we have playing time, uh, potential playing time to – early playing time to offer. Um, if Manny Diaz does stay put at Penn State, I think that definitely helps us. Um, yeah, I would say Penn State's in it. But gun to my head, I would still say that he ends up with the Tar Heels. Yeah, Texas A&M was involved there for a little bit, too, once once they got offered. I haven't heard much from their end either, so we'll we'll pay attention to that one. That's one that, personally, I've been kind of at least interested in. I think that would really kind of take the class to maybe another step. Um, You know, they get Keys, they get Johnson, they get Mapoye, and they get Daniel Harris. You're talking about like a top 12, top 10, not top 10, but 10 to 12 finish. Um, Yeah which would be very good because for a little bit there is looking like this might be like 18, 19 and, and it's, it's definitely looking a little bit better than that. So um, that is the 2023 class, Sean. I think we 
did a solid job of that. Again, we recommend you you know check out on three for more in-depth stuff. Check out 24-7 Sports for more in-depth things. Um, but that's what we have at the moment for that. Is there anyone else that you want to discuss before we move on, Sean? Uh, Edwin Edwin Joseph is somebody to possibly keep an eye on. He's an athlete from Florida. I think things are kind of cool with us right now. Like, I, I don't know if there's a whole lot going on with Penn State and Edwin Joseph, but he's a guy that had been that had been up here. I think we might have visited him. Uh, I think James Franklin may have been down to there to visit him. Uh, so keep an eye on him, but I wouldn't expect him to come up here, to be completely honest. Yeah, that's that's kind of been the vibe with him a while. Uh, Cowboy Ribeye, I guess tw- 15 minutes ago, said Kings. So we appreciate Cowboy Ribeye stopping by. He's been another another one of those long term listeners. So we long time listeners. So we appreciate that. Um, OK. 2023 class is pretty much caught up. We're, we're going to kind of maybe put 2024 on the back burner for now. We'll have pretty much updates from now until signing early signing day. Um, and, and we'll kind of go from there. But we're definitely back in the recruiting hunt of things. So recruiting is definitely getting put back in the maybe the front burner, if you will. I guess that is pretty much all we had, Sean. But I did want to say um, we got an email. And we don't get very many emails. HardcoreCFB at Gmail is our email. Um, I don't even know where you could find that email. I don't even know where it's listed. But people find it every once in a while and email us. Um and this is from PC Tam. And they say, hey, guys, I was listening to your latest podcast. And when you got to who was listening to you on Spotify and where they are from, you mentioned the Philippines and Canada. I am in Toronto, Canada, but my Spotify account is signed up to the family account in the Philippines because it's $30 a year to be on Spotify premium there. There is a hack for you and for anyone listening. Um, I gave you guys a five star on Spotify a couple of weeks ago and, and love your content. Would love a sticker if you could send one my way. We will definitely send one your way. Um, I don't want to go down to he has. They have two questions for us. We're going to ignore the Will Levis question because I think we, I don't. We, we've talked about that before. Um, but I would. It does ask if Penn State would take Marcus Stokes, the quarterback from Florida that is committed to Florida, but Florida went and got another quarterback commit that was committed to Miami, who they really wanted before Stokes. Um, then Marcus Stokes had a incident where I think he was rapping a song and said the N word. Uh, Tam calls it a kerfuffle, which I enjoyed. Um, but he wants to know if Penn State would take them after that. Sincerely, your friendly Canadian Penn State fan via the Philippines, apparently, but just for the money saving purposes. So we don't get emails very often, but I thought that was fun worth reading. Um, Again, five-star reviews on Apple or Spotify, and we will send you a sticker. We're still at 94, so we need just a little bit more to get to that 100 mark. We would really appreciate it. Pizza party, if you do so. But, Sean, would Penn State still, you think, take Marcus Stokes if he wanted to come back? With Jackson mm. Smolik already in the class. No. No, I, I don't think so. I think maybe before Smolik, maybe. Um, but, look. I mean, if the Stokes thing, it speaks, in my opinion, more to his judgment than anything. And I don't want a quarterback who's going to be, who doesn't have good judgment. And doing that, I mean, 
putting that, recording yourself doing that, putting it on your Snapchat for God knows who to see, that shows very, very poor judgment. And I don't really want that in a quarterback. And I think that's what a lot of people tend to think. And, you know, if it becomes something, you know, it becomes something more. And um, I think people have a lot of opinions one way or another about what he did specifically. But more than anything, just from a pure football perspective, it speaks to poor judgment on his part. Yeah, and I I don't know for sure, but I don't I, I that the it's personally when you flip from from Penn State to anywhere else and then might want to come back. I I just you know knowing a little bit about their personality, I don't think that's probably taken very well, especially when it was as soon as their in-state school in Florida offered. I think that was a pretty quick jump. I don't know how that went down, but I'm sure Penn State said, hey, like, are you actually committed or are you just waiting for a Florida offer? And I'm guessing Marcus probably said something to the lines, and this is fully speculation, something lines of, oh, no, I'm committed, I'm committed. But it was literally like he visited Florida, uh, he threw some passes, some teammates at Florida, and then the next day he got the offer and he immediately committed pretty much right away. So... Yeah. I don't think Marcus Stokes is going to be coming to Penn State anytime soon. Yeah, I think the staff felt kind of blindsided, too. I don't think they saw it coming, and I think it's because they they trusted Stokes. And, you know, a couple days or maybe, I like Corey, Corey said, it might have been a day later, he just flipped course. And there was a running back that we were recruiting, too, that, I God, I forget his name. Is it Travion yeah. Webb? Yeah. Web. Yep. And he was seen as a Penn State lean and out of nowhere he committed to Florida and then Stokes decommitted to Penn, from Penn State to Florida. So you wonder like was there was there a conspiracy? And there probably was. <laughs> In all honesty, it was probably kind of coordinated. And yeah, I think the staff might have been done with him after that to begin with, even before the whole N-word Snapchat happened. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to finally set that aside. But thank you again for the email. Uh, I just want to say Rodney Gallagher with Neil Brown coming back to West Virginia. I think it's definitely a, uh, a West Virginia lean at this point. Uh, I, I don't think Penn State's going to get Rodney Gallagher, the wide receiver from Uniontown. Um, I did also want to say we talked a little bit about Dante Thornton, the uh, uh, former Oregon wide receiver who's now in the transfer portal i we hadn't heard very much but it does sound like penn state is you know at least communicating with him so we'll be we'll kind of keep an eye on that one see if anything comes from that but we did talk about him last episode just thought we'd uh, have a little bit update there sean do you have anything else uh jimmy horn jr is going to be announcing his top four this week and he said he's committing on christmas so he's the guy that we talked about at the tail end of last episode. Uh, he's the speedster from South Florida. So you might want to keep an eye on him. Yeah, there's another offensive tackle. Maybe you remember his name. Offensive tackle from Rhode Island. Uh, I believe he wants to commit before or like right around the holidays as well. Um, I do not remember his name, but he's got a decent offer list as well. Um, so maybe some hope there. Be interested to see if anything comes from that. But, uh, yeah, but it's that time of year, everybody.
Yeah. Sean, you have anything else? No. Uh, strap in and watch the four-hour overproduced uh, show uh, if if you're not an <laughs> NFL fan. And, yeah, you should be reading leaks sometime between now and probably like two or three o'clock saying that we're going to be in the Rose Bowl. So it'll be a fun month. I'm excited to prepare for Utah. Utah is a program I respect. Like I said, I, res- I respect a lot and I'm excited to play them. Yeah. Someone on Twitter said, Oh no, Penn State played Utah in 1977. Uh, that was Utah state. The Aggies. Mm. So not, not, how about not that? Any- Who would have thought though, we play Utah state, not Utah. Yeah. That's a fun fact for you. If anybody ever asked if they've played a team yeah. from Utah. Um, and I don't I even know played that BYU, last... but that's about it. Yeah, that's it's a different that's a different Utah program for in a lot of different ways. Oh, it's um, it's very different there. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for the Utah game too. I'm excited for the Rose Bowl too. Um, somebody reached out to us. I don't know if they want us to name or not. Somebody reached out to us and, and said, "Hey, like if you guys are trying to go out there, like w- you know, maybe I we would sponsor. You know, I, I would be willing to sponsor you guys to go out to the Rose Bowl and." First of all, that flattered us. We we don't get very many of those kind of things. Um, but I don't think we ever even dreamed that somebody would even message us that. So we appreciate that to the person that said that. We are not there yet in order to do something like that. However, maybe eventually at some point we are, but we are flattered by the just the amount of support that we've gotten from everybody the last year. I mean, this is the first year that we have uh, done this podcast especially the first full football season. So thank you for all of the support. If you're looking for ways to support us, again, just subscribe wherever you're listening, whether it's on YouTube or whatever podcast directory, share it with a friend. Seriously, that is the best thing you can do is share it with a friend. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. And if you want to go above and beyond, you can go, maybe I'll throw up some shirts on the merch store today as well, just with some of our logos. If you want to get a shirt or a hoodie, for Christmas for somebody. Um, there's already a hat on there. And there was supposed to be some other merchandise things, but that hasn't come to fruition just yet. But I can throw some other things up there. That would be in my eyes, and probably Sean in your eyes too, like the over top like way is is to do to do that. So we would appreciate that. Um yeah. that's it though. I mean it, the amount of support has been incredible and we really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean we really and we sincerely appreciate the support because you guys are why we do it and we say that a lot but we really mean it and um yeah i'm happy we had a good year uh to start this uh, from a, on the football field i'm happy that it was a good seat that we had a really good season and it was a better season than everybody except Corey expected do you want me to had, I can, you want me to play it again you want, you want me to play it? that that's okay it we heard it once it's okay um but we had some writers that cover the team for a living predicting this team to go six and six. And to go huh. 10 and two instead is. And look, I think most people, to be fair, they didn't have us going six and six. They had us going, like I thought, nine and three, eight and four. But nobody had us going 10 and two. So it was cool to take the journey with the program. And yeah, it's a, it, when we look back at this in. 10, 20 years, and we're still hopefully gonna, we're going to be doing this together. That this team will always be special to me for that for that reason that they really helped launch us. Because I think if we were 
if we were not, if we were seven and five again as my cat knocks an ornament off the tree um yeah it would be a lot tougher to get this off the ground but we had a good season to go along with our rise yeah that's a good point um our our best episode was actually after the michigan loss which i think is always going to be funny um yeah Tara says on youtube i have no shame in taking that sponsorship to the rose bowl and puts a crying laughing face that's funny um joey's mentioned something about letting drew going through growing pains we agree joey and then nate will says great show guys have a great day we appreciate that nate thank, thank you, you so much and, and you have a great day as well make sure you've liked the video make sure you're subscribed on youtube we will be back on wednesday night we will have adam bittner joining us I was just going to say, actually, also to your point, Sean, about the season, you haven't even seen the worst of Sean yet. Like, if this team would have gone, like, four and eight, like, you would have seen a different side of Sean that you probably hadn't seen yet. So uh, it hasn't got out yeah. yet, which is also good for the show, probably. <laughs> yeah, you guys have to be more, you have to be with us longer to be able to handle that. You have to, uh, what's 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 the term, Corey? Uh, you have to love me at my worst to deserve me at my best. Or something along those lines. Yeah, we're gonna end and maybe people think my best is when I'm really pissed off with stuff. That's true. I don't know. <laughs> There's definitely a good cop, bad cop, cop yeah. role playing happening on this show. But uh, <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back Wednesday night. You guys have a fantastic week. Maybe I'll go buy some roses, Sean. Uh, until next time, you've been listening to Hardcore Penn State Football for Sean Kane. I'm Corey Vostoki. See you later. I got you.